0: Good morning again everybody uh you know as as we met at the beginning of the new year um, as elders we uh, one of the things that we felt like is we God wanted us to pay attention to the words and actions of Jesus in the bible and uh so that's uh, that's resulted in us going through the book of matthew uh today jesus in matthew eighteen jesus is Um, speaking a lot about a couple of topics I see. One is being in his family, being members of his family, children of the Father, brothers and sisters of one another. And related to that, how to deal with sins or offenses, um, because those are our enemy, and the enemy of our family relationships. Um, So let's start out with prayer. Uh, Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's the word made flesh and that he came not only to teach us but to save us, to deal with sin once and for all and to give us grace, empower us to live um, lives that are pleasing to you and at peace in your family, that we can be members of your family, one to another and true children of you father we bless you Uh, give us understanding today apply it to our lives and uh, give us faith to believe and grace to do it in jesus name amen all right let's think about this scenario what if what if my kids came to me and asked me hey dad who is the greatest in the miller family and, of course, being the wise dad that I am and husband, I would say, your mom, of course. Um, but seriously, that w- I would think that that is like a really strange and inappropriate question, because we're a family. It's not a competition, and we're not climbing the corporate ladder um, to try to be better than one another. Uh, we do want to, to love and serve each other well, Um, But that is for the good of all of us, not for one person or to credit myself, right? Uh, So at the beginning of Matthew 18, we could look at the disciples' question uh, the same way. Uh, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, obviously it's the king, right? Uh, But beyond him, we are all sons and daughters of the king. So it is earthly, it is carnal thinking Um, to try to make it a competition. Um, Peter Lightheart, who we've been quoting uh, from his uh, book about Matthew, said this, The disciples are operating by the common assumptions of the ancient world, and I would say it's the modern world too, um, that life is competition for honors, greatness, and glory. There is only so much glory to go around. And so we have to seek honor, gain it, and preserve it with all of our energies. Well, think about that. It's really true in the world around us, right? Um, you know, we think the world thinks and lives this way. I mean, how many of you are Cardinals fans? We want them to win every game. Right now, we'd just like them to play a game, I think. But, um, uh, and we're not content if they lose, especially to the Cubs fire the manager and uh, the blues we're very proud of them they're our team and they finally won the stanley cup but you know what if they don't defend it this season yeah there we go uh they're going to lose all their honor and i guess we will too right because because we we are attached to them um did anybody ever hear of a president who didn't run for a second term Uh, Actually, George Washington didn't want to run for a second term, I think, but they encouraged him to. Um, Are we ever satisfied with a demotion at work? Even if we don't lose any pay? Uh, um, (laughs) Would you rather have your classmate be valedictorian or yourself? Maybe it depends on whether you, how you feel about giving speeches, right? But um, do, you, do we ever feel a tinge of jealousy when our neighbor uh, is or friend is buys something that we can't afford? Uh, do you ever get mad when you're losing at Monopoly? This. Sorry if it looks like I'm picking out people this morning. Um, But laughter is public confession. Um, I would call this the honor game. It's, It's a game. Jesus answers the disciples that question. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself, like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Children are dependents, right? We find that out when we fill out our taxes, and we like it that way. Children are the created ones, not the creators. Children are trainees, not bosses. You understand that, kids? Kids? No, I mean, it's just the nature, nature of it. They're being trained. They will be the bosses one day. We will be successful if we live in that truth. Satan is the one who didn't follow that way. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 14, it's a, a prophecy that's talking about the king of Babylon, but I think it's also hearkening back to, to the devil and his rebellion in heaven. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's satanic thinking. That's that's Satan's rebellion right there. And Satan caused the fall of mankind with the same temptation. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, think about that in the context of their relationship with God. And here's Satan coming in. Uh, You want to aspire to God's position. It's also the spirit of the Antichrist, which is at work in the world and, and will be personified one day um, in, in some kind of leader. Daniel 11:36 36 uh, prophesies, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done and again paul uh, prophesies about this in second thessalonians chapter 2 let no one deceive you any way, in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. All right, so this honor game really is, is the root of sin. Uh, and that is all to say, we don't want to live playing Satan's game. We don't. Truly, the result of that is death, not life. Instead, we want to follow the example of Jesus, who is also called who's called the Second Adam. He's the first born among many brothers in God's family, and so he's our example. I grew up; I walked in the steps of my older brother, and that was a good thing because he's a good guy. Um, we should be growing up, walking in the steps of our older brother Jesus in God's family. Here's what it says about him in Philippians 2, why he did what he did. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, be like Jesus, who existing in the form of God, in other words, he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he did not play the honor game, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. <laughs> you know, we complain about being human and what it means. Imagine how Jesus felt. <laughs> you know, he, he understands us. That's a good thing. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. How many of us want to be obedient to death? You know, uh, if, if it's God, Right. Uh, if it's God calling us to that, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think we see there, that it's not that there, there is no honor in God's family. Do you see that? It's just that there is honor enough for everybody to, to go around. And honor is part of the love relationship that we have with God and with one another. And the way to that honor is serving and humbling ourselves like the children who we are. There is only one father in the family. And God wants us to live in this truth. He wants us to live as children, his beloved children that we are. He wants us to be dependent on him. It's something that our culture uh, tries to, it kind of naturally shies away from being dependent, you know? My kids would probably rather get their own stimulus check uh, then you let me get money for them as, as, as a dependent. You get more that way, I think. Maybe I'd rather have them get it too as long as they use it the way I want them to. Um, <laughs> but we are dependent. And, uh, and we, we need to be submissive to his will. Then we will prosper. How awesome to be dearly loved sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. Why would we give that up? Why would we not want to be taken care of by him? How wonderful to be in his family, full of brothers and sisters, equally beloved by him. We are not alone. That's a good thing. We're not independent, we're dependent and well loved. So, in this chapter, Matthew 18, Jesus is telling us more about how much God cares for his children. And how he wants us to dwell together with brothers and sisters in his family. But if you think about family, what's the greatest threat to a family? It's offenses, sins. And uh, what divides and breaks apart human families? It's always something about offending, you know, and that selfishness leads to that. Um, Taking offense. You know, it it works. The power of sin works from both ends. Um, the offender, but the offendee has to watch out too. Unfortunately, um, and holding on to offense and pride, and that's the honor game again, isn't it? Isn't isn't it? Uh, you know, we are. It's true, sin hurts, but part of that hurt is our pride, and we take offense. Uh, And and to forgive is humbling. You have to humble yourself to forgive. Um, But Jesus knows that. He's the one who said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Um, So Jesus is really teaching us how to deal with sin in God's family. And he's very serious about this. Because of how much he loves his family and each of his children. He doesn't hate, he doesn't not want us to sin because he's trying to be mean to us. He wants to keep us away from sin because he loves us. Because he knows how destructive sin is. And here's his attitude. If you touch one of his children, you're touching him. Uh, In a good way, and you know, if you bless one of my children, I'll be happy. If you try to hurt one of my children, I won't be happy. Well, you know, God lets us be fathers or mothers, I think, so that we can understand him as a father. Being a father has helped me a lot in understanding how God feels about things, and it's it's actually comforting um, in a lot of cases. I'm I'm not a perfect father, but he is. And uh, so he loves us. So in... uh, In Matthew 18, verse 5, it says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. (laughs) That was creative, wasn't it? But um, that's a threat, I think. (laughs) you know, but it's a just threat. It's, it it reflects his love for his children. And then, so then Jesus goes on to teach on four areas dealing with sin and offense in his children. He wants us to understand how do we deal with it? Because he doesn't want it to happen. Uh, First, dealing with temptation, you know, the temptation for ourselves to sin in our own lives. Second, God's desire to turn wandering children back to himself. How he feels about us and sin. Third, what to do when a brother sins against you because it's going to happen. And fourthly, lastly, the importance of forgiving our brothers and sisters. He goes through all of those. So, again, God is very serious about sin that threatens the well being of his children and his family its sin is not okay with god he sees its destructive effects on his children he denounces it accordingly as christians you know we know we are saved by grace right we are not saved by being perfect not by our own good works but we should not take sin lightly as some do i have to say it in the church today at least in america uh, there are people who take sin lightly. They just we we might call it cheap grace. And uh, Jesus doesn't. He gave his life to pay the price to redeem us from our sin. He obviously didn't take it lightly. He's the one that warned this in verse seven. Whoa! not like surprise, woe, but like big warning here. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, exclamation point. For it is necessary that temptations come. In other words, it's going to happen. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame With than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into The eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That reminds me of college when I dissected a cow eyeball. Those things are really big. (laughs) He's not telling us to actually gouge out our eyeball because actually that wouldn't exactly solve the problem of lust or, or other things that the eye might be involved in. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. He's warning us. Um, you know, this is a repeat. Actually, I I preached chapter five, and he said the exact same words in chapter five in the Sermon of the Mount on the Mount. And as I taught back then, he's not really telling us to mutilate our bodies. Uh, but he's instructing us to take drastic action to avoid both tempting others to sin or giving in to temptation. And repenting, he's talking about repenting, that means turning around and going in the other direction. In the book of James, James taught us this, chapter 5, 16. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why does it say healed? Because evidently sin damages us. Sin harms us. It can be definitely spiritually, right? Definitely emotionally. We've seen that. Physically too. Some physical ailments are a result of our own sin. Sometimes they're a result of other people's sins that we let hang on to us, especially by not forgiving Sometimes it's not receiving forgiveness for our own sin. Regret, that'll make us physically sick. Um, He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So he's telling us to do something that can be embarrassing and that is confessing your sin to another person. A lot of times we think, yeah, I can confess my sin to God because it's not shocking to him, right? Hopefully you understand that. But if I confess to another person, uh, that's hard to do. Really? I mean, it is, right? Um, But he's saying, do you really want to cut this sin off your body? (laughs) Off of your life? Uh, Take that drastic step. It will help you. It's worth it. Uh, Because a little embarrassing, humble yourself like a child. Don't worry about the honor game. Get that sin out of your life. Your righteous brother or sister whom you can trust in praying for you will cut that sin out of your life. His, prayer, his or her prayer is powerful and effective, so do that. Paul instructed Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 22, deuces wild there, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. All right? So he, he's instructing Timothy, who's a Christian. He's not telling an unbeliever to repent. He's telling a believer, run away, run away, run away, right? Uh, flee from temptation, from the youthful desires, the sin- sinful desires, not the desire to be young again. Um, we will be one day if we flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Set, I think, how do we do that? Well, sometimes you might just run away. Like, if, if you're close to sin, sometimes physically distance yourself is what needs to be done, right? Uh, if, if something's tempting your eyes, you don't necessarily have to gouge out your eye, but turn your eyes away, right? Right? Um, or turn the channel, or did did anybody watch the movie Fireproof, where he takes his computer and throws it out and bashes it with a baseball bat? that's drastic action, right? But it's not a bad idea, better than be watching your computer and leading you into sin all the way to hell. Jesus said that. So, um... Here, I got a little object lesson, okay? Uh, I've got a little, little half centimeter magnet here, okay? And this is steel, all right? So let's say the little magnet represents sin, okay? Do it in front of the camera here. Let's say the little magnet represents sin, and uh, here's, I don't know if you're like this. I'm like this sometimes, okay? Uh, I can get, I can get close to it I'm not touching it as long as I don't touch it I'm okay right I can get close to it right I can get <laughs> I didn't touch it How did, it got me right why a magnet is attracted to steel right or steel is attracted to a magnet it doesn't happen. so I think that's just kind of a good example of fleeing temptation because Um sometimes we have that where we think eh, we rationalize I can get I can get close to it I I what <laughs> I won't cross the line you know no that uh, Paul so when Paul is saying to Timothy flee temptation that's what he's saying distance yourself from it set hedges around set fences set boundaries um oh you're too religious. That's, that's just, <laughs> no, that's smart, okay? Don't fall off the edge of the cliff. Don't go near the edge, please. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. Flee youthful passions. Um, you know, Jesus talked quite a bit about hell. Why? Because he desperately wants us to avoid it. He doesn't want to see anybody go to hell. Um, you know, it's not a bad idea for us to think about hell sometimes too, because the fear of God tends to put a chill on temptation. The fear of God is a good thing, so it is not a bad thing for us to think about hell. It scares me to death. I mean, just think about it. After we've lived our life, just ah, you know, it's terrible. But it's not a bad idea, and I'm I'm not telling you meditate on that all the time. That would that wouldn't be good. But once in a while, it's not a bad idea. Um, think about eternal life in heaven. Two, maybe more often than thinking about hell, I would suggest. Okay, um, how long and wonderful is that going to be compared to this brief life on earth? In other words, like, am I willing to j- trade? eternity and and I'm not saying that falling into sin one time is going to keep you out of heaven but sin is a trap and a slippery slope and it's harmful to our faith and and um and and it it can limit rewards I think that we get for accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish in this life and so in other words think about that and compare it to what I'm being tempted to do that seems like it would Make me happy uh, is is not worth it. It's kind of like like somebody's offering me a a cookie, a store bought cookie here, and then compared to uh, and you want to trade that for for what Um, one of Faith's homemade pies that she made during the quarantine. My favorite thing about the quarantine. Um, One of my favorite things. Michael's homemade pizzas were pretty good too. Um, It's not worth it, right? So meditate on our future. No pain, no gain. We're going to have to go through some struggle, um, but it'll all be worth it in the end. Um, Here's Paul wrote this uh, also in Philippians, the next chapter, chapter 3. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, it actually says Jesus set that goal before him to motivate him to endure the cross. And Paul says he too presses on toward that goal. What goal? Eternal life in heaven. Uh, to be with Jesus and win the prize. Evidently, there are prizes, there is honor in God's family but it's not the same kind of honor that we have to fight each other for like the world thinks. All right, so Matthew 18 continues. Uh, he's, Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That's interesting. But what, is, what we know he's saying is these little ones are valuable to me. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. All right, so what he's not saying is, uh, well, I'll get more attention from Jesus if I sin, because then if I repent, he'll be happy with me. If I'm one of the 99, he'll ignore me. No, it's not saying that. But what he's demonstrating is, it is not God's will for anybody to go to hell. He's not willing for anyone to be lost. And you might say, well, he, he was holding a little child. He's talking about the value of young children to the father. And that's true. God really values young children actually he values childlike remember he said humble yourself like this little child be dependent on me but his his limited is his, his word is not his meaning is not limited to sweet cute little children but also the not so sweet older foolish ones uh, smiling is public confession too who have wandered astray. Everyone was young and cute once, even the mask-wearing Antifa rebel uh, parading the streets of Portland, Oregon. Okay? But even they, or the murderers that are about, or whatever evil person you can think of, it's not his will that any of them should perish in hell. How do we know that? Well, you know John 3.16? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He gave up the Son he already had, the eternal Son, in exchange for you and me, the world, not just selected ones out of the world. Romans five eight says... But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. In other words, this is how much he loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we were good. He knew what we were like. And he gave his life for us. So he, understand this, he does not want you to go to hell. He does not want anybody to go to hell. Except the devil and his angels. That's what it was made for. Um, So, Never be afraid to come to the Father and repent of your sin. Obviously, we said before, it's not going to shock him. He knew that you did it, right? He knows our hearts. But if we've failed or wanted, he's, he's right there. Come back immediately. Now, don't, don't take time to say, 10 our fathers before you come. Don't, don't punish yourself and, and then think you're worthy to come. Just come right away, as soon as possible. Come and repent and receive forgiveness because he rejoices when we do so. May we love one another to the depth that our Father loves each of us. Amen? Amen. So what do we do when our brother or sister sins against us? Well, if I say Matthew 18, a lot of people would say, oh, that's the instructions for what for church discipline, right? And uh, actually, it's three verses out of 35 of them. But uh, there, there are four steps uh, for how to deal with sin in the family. This is talking about when your brother or sister, not when the unbeliever sins against you, but the person in, who's in the church or in Christ sins against you. Here's what God doesn't want. He doesn't want to destroy the relationship. He doesn't want the family torn apart, right? But uh, he, he wants to deal with it properly. Number one, go tell him his fault between you and him alone, right? A lot of times we don't do it that way. We might go, we need to go check it out, bounce it off of somebody else first, right? Right? Uh, that's that's not what he said to do though okay here's the other thing we might think i'll just keep it to myself which which is okay if you forgive if you can forgive and forget and it doesn't keep you awake at night then that's biblical but if it doesn't um you know don't don't keep it to yourself and then stew about it and cut off that person's relationship from you no we failed if we do that Go to that person between you and him alone and tell him his fault. Two, uh, if that doesn't work, if they don't repent, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If they don't listen to you then, tell it to the church. And if they don't listen to the church, they don't, still don't repent let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does that mean? I think it means like an unbeliever. Just let them know, hey, we love you. We want you to be saved. We, you are not repentant. How can you receive forgiveness from Jesus? Jesus died for you, yes, but you have to, be, you have to repent of your sins. We're pointing this out to you. Now, now, we're talking about things that are clear in the Bible, right? We're not talking about things like, you hurt my feelings and uh, opinion kind of thing. Like, y- you said my cooking was... Yeah, oh, whatever. We're talking about things that are, um, that are clear in the Bible. Um, treat him like an unbeliever. Now, how does Jesus treat unbelievers? He goes after the sheep that wandered, leaves the 99, right? So it's it's not cut them off and forget about them forever. That's not what it's saying. Um, So, you know, maybe we could call this family discipline. Discipline is a loving thing. How many of you young people like like discipline? (laughs) All right, but how many of you know it's a good thing in the long run? It is. Uh, it's love discipline is a loving thing and so to let a Christian brother or sister wander away or let a relationship be left broken by sin is not love right oh but we don't want to offend them you know what sometimes love has to be tough sometimes love is a little bit painful right but in the long run it's good it's a privilege of membership in God's family to have one's sin addressed by brothers and sisters who care. That's a privilege. It's, well, what's the alternative? Oh, let them water, wander off the edge of the cliff. I don't care. That's, that's the alternative. But in the church, we care about our brothers and sisters, not to let them wander or be destructive or let the relationship be destroyed. God says in Hebrews 12:8, "If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." Okay, so sons sons and daughters are disciplined, and that's love. If you're not disciplined, you're not really a a son or daughter. Proverbs 13:24 says it even more strongly, even stronger. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Okay, that's talking to him even about spanking. So, so his word for us, don't despise correction. We're all going to need it at times. It's a loving thing. Jesus did not pretend that we would not have any offenses come between brothers and sisters in his family. Raise your hand if you have a family that's never had offenses inside of it. <laughs> no, there isn't any. All right, so when, when you do, do you think it's better to let the offenses drive you apart rather than do the work of proper communication, repentance, and forgiveness? No. No. We may not enjoy thoroughly dealing with sin in relationships, just like we don't enjoy surgery or a root canal, right? But if done properly, it's worth it, right? And uh, that's how healing happens. And God wants a healthy family that walks in his grace. Grace helps us to confront sin when necessary. That's part of grace, Grace helps us to repent of sin to others whom we've offended. That's grace too. Grace helps us to forgive those who sin against us. That's also grace. That's a work of grace. Our father won't have it any other way because he loves his family. In verse 21, it says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And other translations say 70 times seven, which is 490 times. And the seven is the number of completions. So that suggests that actually it means all the times. And I've heard somebody say that that's also suggested that this would be in one day, and maybe the same sin over and over, okay? So he's talking about unlimited times. And uh, how many times to forgive? I mean, seven times, that's a, that's a lot of times to forgive somebody. How would you feel about it if Jesus had answered Peter, nope, three strikes and you're out? <laughs> Time for a little law and order that's what we need. Throw the book at him. But if, if we're honest enough about ourselves, um, we'll realize we really don't want to, God to apply that same standard to, to us. What if God said that if you messed up more than three times, you're out of his family? It's hopeless. What about seven times? What about 77 times? What about 490 times? Even that wouldn't be enough. Lamentations 3, and 23. What a promise this is. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Praise the Lord. Why? Because he already dealt with sin. Jesus paid the price already on the cross. And so he can forgive us as many times as is necessary because it's already been paid for. Warren would say, that's a good place to shout. Amen, right? Amen. Uh, and, uh, and so it's the same thing is true with the sins people commit against us. Jesus paid for them as well. And uh, then Jesus tells Peter the parable of the merciful king and the unmerciful servant. And we know the parable and we just heard it. The king had pity on the man and forgave the servant a debt of how many talents? 10,000 talents. Now what I read is a talent was worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. So a talent is a big piece of money. Okay? And, uh, 20 years wages. So 10,000 talents the guy owed, that's, I did the math, 200,000 years wages that he said, oh, just be patient with me. I'll pay you back out of my savings. 200,000 years wages. That's an empty promise. <laughs> but okay, so today that, that's billions of dollars, no matter what your wages are. Okay, that's billions of dollars and uh and so having that's the, that's the magnitude of how much Jesus is saying, how much God has forgiven us, and we tend to not appreciate that compared to what people when people hurt us how it how it hurts, but having been forgiven, the servant then met his fellow servant and refused to forgive him a debt of 100 denarii. And a denarius was was worth a day's wages at that time. And so it was 100 days wages, which is not small. That's a third of a year almost. And, and so if somebody owed you a third of a year's wages, that's not insignificant, right? It, it is something. But... If you were just had just been forgiven billions of dollars and then you and then you met your on the way home you met your brother or sister and said pay me my 100 days wages that's got to be the honor game you're playing again isn't it that's the honor game and it's deadly and beca- because um It's literally nothing compared to billions of dollars. Unless, of course, you own Amazon or Facebook, then your day's wages are pretty big. But the servant's lack of forgiveness to his brother was wrong, no matter how you look at it. And Jesus ends the lesson by saying, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Those them serious words. Okay, why are they so serious? If, if I reject the blood of Jesus' payment for the sin of my brother or sister who hurt me, I'm rejecting that same blood of Jesus. That same blood of Jesus paid for my sins. If I I can't reject it for other people, and then say, but oh, but it applies to me, you got for God has to forgive me. We live by grace, but uh, well, God just didn't. Jesus just doesn't understand how much it hurt this. What what the other person did to me. I'm not belittling the fact that we hurt each other. What I'm saying is, what we did to God was really, really, really big. When we rejected our father, we don't understand that. We don't. I mean, we should try to, but we don't. But Jesus is illustrating it here when he says, he says, um, you owed billions of dollars. They owed you thousands of dollars. Okay? He's just, he's illustrating how, the magnitude of it, of it, I think. And so we've got to embrace that. And he's like, you are brothers and sisters. Work it out. Repent. Forgive. Because sin is the enemy. We are not each other's enemies. Jesus, Jesus said this back in Matthew 5 again, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We all, need to, we all need mercy. Raise your hand if you need mercy. So do I. Be merciful then. Because the same blood of Jesus that brings mercy to you allows you to bring mercy. But it's really hard to forgive other people. Well, I know it's a struggle. It's a struggle in your feelings. But forgiveness does not start with feelings. You have it in you because you have Jesus in you. The price has been paid, all right? So you can take it. You can take the forgiveness for yourself and receive God's forgiveness. But you can also take the forgiveness for someone else and receive that and offer it to them. It is there. And so I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I also know that I can be sitting out there on the mower and I don't know why, but stuff comes in, I call it stinking thinking, stuff comes into my head and I start thinking about how people, uh, people are doing this to the country. Uh, that person did that to me. Uh, they did this to the school. And, uh, you know, stuff like that just starts coming in your head. And I think it, it comes from our flesh. It kind of rises up, the sinful nature I'm talking about. And there's a devil who, who I think tries to get us thinking about that. Uh, so I'm saying we are, and it's a battle in our society, the things that are going on. Do you see anybody out there in the world, I mean, not the church, saying, we need reconciliation. We need to become one. The, way, the solution to this problem is forgiveness. You don't see that in the world's tactics. They're saying, they're, they're, they're pushing us divide. You're bad, and you need to remember that you're bad. You know, we are not the same. We are not brothers and sisters. Yes, we are, right? And uh, you know, so so let's not do things the way the world does. The world is trying to play the honor game again. Um. But we are children in God's family. We are not poor. We are rich. I think a lot of what we see in society right now is self pity, and not everybody. But self-pity drives, we're so poor. We've been made poor. We are oppressed. And okay, so we Christians, we are not poor. Somebody can persecute and oppress us and we can forgive them. Why? Because we are children of the Father. And, uh, and Jesus died for you too, by the way. You can be where I am too, right? And, and I'm not that mad at you because you know what I did to the Father was so much greater and he forgave me completely. And so I can forgive you too. Because actually, you're not the enemy. He said that. There are other enemies, but you're not him. And so I can forgive you. And you can go to heaven with me forever. And we can be brothers and sisters. And we have a father who loves us more than anything. What, what a wonderful thing. And, it, and you meditate on that. And all of a sudden you think, Would I rather be mad about this little thing my brother did to me? No, no. Put it under the blood of Jesus. We are rich. You know what? To God, what are riches? We are. His riches are his children. To him, money is nothing, right? To him, he can create whatever he wants to. But a child, you know, he gave us a will to choose, and we are precious to him. That's why our worship and our praises are so precious to him. And... um, our love for him, our honor to him as a father. That's another sermon. But we are part of that family. He paid the highest price possible for us. That's how we know how valuable we are. Couldn't have paid a higher price. Let us love his children and love him. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we just uh, give thanks to you and give all glory and honor to you and praise. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your, for your forgiveness. And Lord, we don't understand completely, maybe some people do, uh, the depth of the offense that that we gave to you. But you, while we were still sinners, sent Christ to die for us. And you... Love the world so much that you gave Jesus to die, that whoever believes in you will not perish in the hell of fire, but have an everlasting life with you. We thank you for your love, Father. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you dealt with sin, it's gone you removed it as far as the east is from the west and so we we're not going to hang on to it we're not going to hang on to our own sin we're not going to hang on to other people's sin we're going to give it to you and you because you remove it as far as the east is from the west you drown it in the depths of the sea which is pretty deep i saw a documentary about it it's really deep we thank you lord we praise you and Lord, help us to walk in love towards our brothers and sisters. Give us grace, Lord, to forgive. I pray for anyone in, who's struggling with any offense that you would give them grace to deal with it effect, properly and effectively. I pray for anyone who's struggling with temptation that you would give them grace to flee. I pray that you would give us grace as brothers and sisters. To, um, to help our brothers and sisters in love, not in any other motivation, but in love, to pull them back from the edge of the cliff, if need be. We thank you for our eternal hope in heaven. Thank you that you've spared us from hell. Let us be your witnesses because others need to know too. And I pray that your house will be full. We thank you for the richness of our inheritance in you and your family. And we know, Lord, that 2020 might be a bumpy year ahead of us, but your riches are more than enough because you're our good Father. We're dependent on you and you are faithful. We can't depend on ourselves, but we can depend on you. Lord, we love you, we bless you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.